to be honest, I think it's something that a lot of people need help with a lot more these days than in the past because, you know, with the shift to online, competitions available at the click of a button, everybody's browsing, everybody has multiple, multiple options. And if you, you're not clear about what you do, and if it's not exciting, relevant and compelling enough, then people will just overlook you and go and choose somebody else. And you won't be a leader, you'll be one of the followers, one of the sheep instead. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello, and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. Today's guest is in a way it's a kind of trade-off and it wasn't planned that way but a few days ago uh, I was interviewed by Jane Baylor for her podcast The Smart Connector and that was the first time we really got to talk to each other beyond an exchange of emails uh, and get to know each other and one of the things that came out of that was actually Jane has a lot to bring to the Connected Leadership Podcast as well. So we are reciprocating, uh, collaborating, everything that's in tune with what we preach on the Connected Leadership Podcast. So who is Jane and why is she on this podcast? Well, she had a 20-year career in global brand marketing and media. uh, And after that 20-year career, she then grew her own London brand identity business from a £1 million turnover to £6 million. She quadrupled profits and she sold out to a US communications group. And she now uses all of that experience of focusing on brand identity to help professionals stand out for their difference. And anyone who's a regular listener to the Connected Leadership podcast will know that that's an ongoing theme in many of the conversations we have. So from my subsequent conversations with Jane, we settled on a theme uh, that I think is a real fit for many people who listen to this podcast, and that is how to be the go-to person in your organization or your industry. I know so many people in my network who have worked so hard to establish their credibility and establish themselves at the head of their their niche. And it's not just speakers like myself, but it's people who are leaders in large organizations, but who understand the power and the import of being recognized across their niche and across their organization and industry. So let's focus a little bit on that as we welcome Jane Baylor to the Connected Leadership Podcast. Jane, thank you very much for joining me. Hey, it's great to be here, Andy. Thank you so much for um, inviting me to be a guest. Um, We also had an amazing interview together, which I really enjoyed. So, yeah, great to talk to you again. Me too. And, (laughs) and, you know, I I do look at the the, the podcast I guest on um, and... you can get asked the same questions all the time. And, you know, as, as a guest, it can become a bit uh, a bit robotic if you're not careful. But I felt that in our conversation, we, we went down different paths and that was refreshing. Uh, and that's a good sign as well. Thank you. So, so you stood out. You stood out from the crowd. So what a great intro to what we're talking about. Let's start with why that's so important. Why is it so important? If someone has uh, a, a leadership role, or they're aspiring to a leadership role in an organization, many people would argue that you should be just focusing on doing your job to the best of your abilities. Why is it so important that you stand out from the crowd? Yeah, well, 
Unfortunately, we live in an era today where just doing your work well is not good enough, whether you are working in an organization or whether you're an independent consultant or service provider or expert or speaker or anybody that has expertise that you earn a living from. It's just more important than ever before to stand out for your difference and actually be seen as the go-to authority uh, with the credibility, but also the character, the personality, um, the, the uh, just the confidence, somebody who is just different and more interesting than everybody else. It's all about being interesting, I think, and relevant. Let, let me play devil's advocate a little bit here because I thoroughly agree with you, but not everyone will be where we are in, in, in terms of this conversation. So if if you're in an outwardly facing role, uh, let's say you're in sales would be probably the most obvious. Yeah. Then I think that the sort of qualities you've talked about um, would, would be a natural fit for you in terms of doing your job effectively. If you were in a more inwardly facing or technical role so let's say a finance role potentially or an engineering uh, or development role along those lines you may turn around and say but actually I don't want to be interesting to people I don't want to uh, show my personality I just want to do my job effectively so is this role specific or is this relevant to everyone yeah, so I think if you want to be somebody that sits around in a cubicle all day and is just a doer, well, fine, you know, be that person. If you want to stand out as a leader and actually advance in your organization and come to the attention of people who can take your career or your business to its next level, then you need to pay attention to this because uh, really nobody does pay attention to people that just hide away in their cubicle and just do the work. Unfortunately, they are the ones that get overlooked or the people who obviously, if they do have their own businesses, um, you know, people can spend a long time just crafting their work to perfection. And it's no good if you can't bring it to the attention of the right people in the right way, because again, what happens is you get overlooked. And unfortunately, people who get overlooked, they struggle in many, many different ways um, for recognition, for attention, but ultimately for income. And so the people who are more successful in business and life, they're ones who've learned to get this right. Uh, there's a nice piece of research. It's very well known. So you may well be aware of it, but the backs this up. And for many years, uh, I would be shot down by audiences. You could see when I turned around and said to audiences, if you want to get promoted in your role, just doing a good job isn't enough and you need to have the networks you need to have the relationships you need to have the profile and for years I would see angry faces staring back at me whenever I said that because it's not perceived as fair um <laughs> uh, but but then a few years ago I was speaking for HSBC in Hong Kong and, and someone uh, drew my attention to this well-known piece of research that's known as Pi. I don't know if you've come across it before. No. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's from the late 20th century, but I would argue it's still relevant. Uh, about In the 1990s, um, uh, an author called Harvey Coleman, uh, who mm -hmm. conducted some research into the different factors that went into securing promotion. And he identified three key factors, performance, image, and exposure, hence Pi. Uh -huh. 
performance, the factor that we all believe should account for our success and our progression, accounted for 10%. Image accounted for 30%. Exposure accounted for 60%. And that's not a license to do a bad job. I can, you know, if you if you perform badly, then it will impact your image and the exposure of that image. Um, but if we put it into plain English, what you do is probably recognised directly by your peers and your line manager. They're not necessarily the people who are going to make the decision. It's people's perception of what you do that is what we're talking about in terms of image. Uh, yeah. So it's not just you do a good job, but what is it you do? And does it correlate with what people are looking for and what they value? And then exposure is who knows, who are making the key decisions. Because if one person knows you're brilliant at the right thing, but they're in a meeting with eight people who've never heard of you or don't equate you with that skill set, you've got problems. So I think that the, the, the pie research goes a long way to what you're saying. Now, you, you say that's the first time you've come across that, but is that something that resonates with your experience as well? Oh, definitely. That's very, very powerful. And I'm not surprised that only 10% is linked to performance. Obviously, visibility is incredibly important, but it's no good being visible for the wrong things, is it? So you have to be able to communicate your relevance and your authority and your credibility and the fact that you are doing the right things to the right people. So if you're not doing that, again, you are going to get overlooked. So it is I mean, obviously, I spent 20 years in a corporate environment myself, even though I run my own business now. So I've sat on both sides of the table. And I know, for example, I remember when I was in those big advertising agencies, you know, it's the people at the top were the people that they understood all this stuff. They understood how to network, how to build relationships, how to how to get seen in the right way. I mean, that was, if you like, that's obviously what that that industry is all about so you know you had to be very very skilled in order to be that you know be at the top of that particular tree but um it was certainly also a very disciplined environment when it came to uh you know being being seen and being heard for the right things and in the right way because if you weren't you just you just get sacked <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well let's pick up on that being seen for the right things in the right way I think it's a really interesting statement and earlier you talked about people being undervalued and overlooked now now I ran uh, I delivered a presentation yesterday and one of the questions that came in uh, from the chat it was a, a virtual presentation was how do we get the balance? Because I was talking about what I call the eye test, which is look at your communications. How many times do you say I versus how many times do you say you or we? Which in terms of building relationships, it's really important that you focus on the other person. So the question was, well, often we're told we've got to talk about ourselves more so people understand the power we bring. Now, I think they're slightly different things, but it does strike up a really interesting question, which goes to your point, or both points about being undervalued and overlooked and being seen to do say the right things in the right way. How do you get that balance between speaking up for yourself, taking credit for your achievements and making pe- making sure people know about those achievements and not being seen as on an ego trip? Yeah, well, that's uh, such an interesting conversation, isn't it? Because of course, uh, people see through things like the humble brag, don't they? So, 
the humble brag doesn't doesn't really cut it when you're really boasting, but you're just doing it in a slightly underhand way. So that is not the way to go. Anybody that hasn't heard of the humble brag, I would definitely look that up because there are some great examples online. You can so, look at my LinkedIn profile. I'm sure I humble brag more than I should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so the humble brag is one way that people try and do it. Um, the other way is just, as you said, talking about me, me, me which makes you come across as very narcissistic, that I did this, I did that, I went there, I, I'm basically the greatest is the message that people are getting all the time. And I think people do that quite a lot in corporate because there's a certain amount of insecurity really there, just simply because of the nature of it, that uh, it, it, just, it just is, can be a little bit more tricky, let's just say, to get this right. Uh, because obviously there's some politics and things like that, and you can't always choose the people that you work with. So I think um, in those instances, it is very important to obviously get recognition for the work that you are doing and the value that you are bringing, but not at the expense of other people. Because I think if you uh, if you do that, if you um, make your own role or your own accomplishments or whatever bigger than anybody else's at their expense, then um, people will see through that again. So I think what it is, is you do have to obviously draw attention to what you do and how you do it. But I think the thing to focus on is really just the benefit to other people. So just think of it through their lens and through their eyes what is it that they really need? What is it they really want? And how can I be of service? And how can I then let them know that I have been of service to them in, term, in terms of what matters to them? It's all about the other person, really, as opposed to you. So you, you made a great point about the I and the we and rather than the me. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I like that. And I think the there's a lot that we can do to grow that reputation, grow that credibility while engaging with people rather than broadcasting to them, which is key. Andy's new book, Just Ask, Why Seeking Support is Your Greatest Strength, is out now. Looking at the importance of asking for help and admitting vulnerability, it is an essential read in challenging times. Order your copy from Amazon and all good book retailers now or visit andylapata.com forward slash just ask. You talked about um, taking credit for what you do and not taking credit for what others do. In various conversations I've had, I think on the podcast as well as elsewhere, um, I've become aware that there is an issue um, with men taking credit for the achievements of women in, in organisations around a table because men are more likely to just just turn around and say yes and take credit for what we've done whereas women tend to share with the team and so miss out on on that uh, slice of the pie so to speak if you're sat in a meeting and we, we could take gender out of it because i think it's it's character type personality type to a degree as well um but if you're sat in a meeting or you're in an environment where you've you've not been recognized for an achievement a thought an idea uh, and then someone else is suddenly credited with it. Let's be very generous in the way we position that. How do you deal with that situation and get the recognition that you're perhaps due? Yeah, well, I think probably the thing not to do is to uh, is to lose your temper. 
and say, what are you, what, what are you talking about? I did that. <laughs> so uh, thinking about the things not to do, first of all. Um, and of course, the other thing is not to get all sneaky around, around it and, uh, you know, go and start playing those power games because it is, you know, it can be very, very tempting to do that. But I think uh, you've got to head off the person that has actually done that because people do do it. And I think take them aside, have a quiet chat and say, look, I really was uncomfortable about what you did there because I feel as though I was misrepresented. I think that my contribution to this project was important. And, you know, you can but try, but sometimes you do get different personality types. You do get people who are sort of bad apples and who they just don't have a different value set. And unfortunately, um, you know, obviously that's one of the advantages of being an entrepreneur or a business owner that you can choose who you work with. In corporate environments, you can go so far, um, but if you have somebody who is, um, if you like, toxic enough to consistently go up against you and try and um, undermine really what 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 you're doing it's a very difficult situation it's obviously far better when people very generously in a very unprompted way actually give you the credit and the recognition because that makes everybody happy doesn't it so so the industry that you 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 you've made your name in you built your expertise in marketing media advertising that has a reputation as you hinted at earlier <laughs> for these power games and the oh, office yes. politics and so on so what sort of things happened you know what what, what, what experiences <laughs> did you have to learn to uh, deal with and how did you deal with them there's a lot of crazy people in advertising. So tell us you some know, crazy they... stories. Tell us some crazy stories. Uh, oh, you really, you really want some crazy stories? Oh, well, my boss was very well known for throwing chairs. <laughs> <laughs> so he used to lose his temper and throw a chair across the room, and everybody would have to duck. Um, so, so yeah, a lot of incredibly bad behaviour. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. I had to sign NDAs. I suppose I could potentially get sued <laughs> if I talked about some of the stuff that would be going on. But let's just say it was all, it was a very crazy, very fast paced, very pressurized world with a lot of incredibly bad behavior. So, um, yes, I mean, everything from, from lots and lots of drug taking, drinking, yeah. uh, party, partying, um, you know, no holds barred, you know, fun seeking. Um, and, you know, that, that was obviously, that was challenging because at one time I was a single parent in that environment and I just had to go home at the end of the day to my kids to look after them. And of course, everybody else would stay on and they'd party and they'd, you know, do all the stuff that they were doing. And obviously that is not a good environment really when you're trying to, you know, build a business and, and promote good relationships between people. Because when you mix all that stuff, into it, people just they're just acting out on emotion all over the place, and obviously it's fueled by the various substances. And I'm glad not to be in that world right now. Actually, <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, this comes up quite a lot actually. In the there are people like yourself who who might be single parents or may just have parenting responsibilities. They don't have to be a single parent to have parenting responsibilities or who don't drink or don't participate in, in, in drugs, which, of course, all of my regular listeners are completely <laughs> clean cut, um, it, and who don't want to get involved with those games or simply want to strike that work-life balance where they don't feel they have to go out drinking after everything. I remember 
many years ago. I, I don't drink very much uh, now. I, I've never drank excessively, but now I, 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 I'm not teetotal, but I don't drink very heavily at all. Um, but I remember a very early conven uh, convention in my professional association where I was one of the last three or four people to go to bed at four or five o'clock in the morning. These days, we still see people sitting there at breakfast time. <laughs> but back then, it was four or five in the morning. Um, who uh, And the people I was with were all stalwarts of the association, and I was new to it. And that really accelerated my acceptance into those networks of the people who, who were established. And, and it's, it, it's a shame that it had to be me staying up and drinking with them till 4am to create those relationships. And, and those relationships remain very strong for those to this day, not based around alcohol consumption, I should stress. How, what would you say to someone who does want to build the relationships, who does want to build the credibility, who wants people to, to acknowledge them and recognise them and, and recognise what they do? but who doesn't want to go to every single uh, social drinking event after work and so forth and doesn't drink a lot and, and or take drugs and so on, because, of course, we wouldn't advocate that here. <laughs> um, well, there's no doubt about it that a lot of relationships are forged uh, through alcohol. I mean, alcohol is a social lubricant. Obviously, it has its downside as, as well, but that is why it is so big in, for example, environments like media and advertising, because they really are all about fundamentally relationships. So as mo many industries are. So um, so I'm, I'm not advocating, obviously, this whole kind of drinking culture thing. But I have to say that uh, looking back, I mean, we that there was never any spending limit on alcohol in, in our business. Um, and we used to go out, you know, most lunchtimes, take clients out. And, you know, sometimes we would be out all afternoon. I mean, it was, you know, it was quite, quite exhausting, really. And it would, would have been very difficult to be a non-drinker in that environment. I mean, I would try and obviously moderate, but I would, a lot of days, I would be drinking at lunchtime because otherwise it would just get too boring sitting around other people yeah. getting drunk. And that is really what happens in these kind of high-pressure environments in the media, in the city or whatever. That alcohol habit, let's just say, you know, can creep up on you very, very quickly. But I do think that it's changing. And I do think there's a lot more awareness of things like mental health, addiction, and so on. And I think that um, there are also a lot of people in media, for example, who are in recovery from drugs and alcohol, because otherwise they'd probably be dead. Uh, there are a lot of people who have died as well and had terrible things happen to them. So, um, I mean, it's probably there in every industry, but in particular, there are some industries that, that you know, people are very vulnerable to that. And they tend to be those kind of high pressure city based type, um, you know, environments like finance, um, you know, banking, of course, everybody knows that banking is one of those high risk industries. Um, and, you know, of course, the one that, that I was in. So I think really um, it is entirely possible to build relationships uh, totally sober without having to be out all evening drinking and partying and doing all those things that other people do. And you do end up feeling better about yourself also if you are doing it that way. But I think sometimes you do have to remove yourself consciously from that environment and find different ways to develop relationships and maybe just uh, 
really, you can never go wrong if you show up and bring value to someone. And that value, my ex actually was a consultant and, um, you know, he didn't drink. Um, he was actually in recovery from drugs and alcohol because he used to work in the music industry where, you know, <laughs> is, is rife, as you can imagine. So, you know, he got into a lot of trouble, but he used to do things like, um, you know, he'd, he'd show up with a, a book, you know, that like he would um, find out what somebody was interested in. And then he'd go and buy them a book and give them like a little gift. Now, okay, he's not going out and buying them a few drinks. He's giving them a book instead. But just doing that was something different and really nice, actually, that was generally appreciated. So I think little gift, you know, somebody, I think once a bonsai tree was a gift to somebody that was interested in those little Japanese gardens, you know. So so it can be something that's a small you know, inexpensive purchase, uh, which shows that you've thought of that person, or it can be just a little check-in and, uh, you know, phone call and how are you doing? You know, how, how's it all going? Which is, hasn't got an agenda. It's not agenda driven. It's just all about them. So I think people that tend to rely just on that whole alcohol, you know, fueled thing, um, you know, they are losing out perhaps on the subtlety of building connections and relationships that are possible when you have to do it a different way. So, yeah, interesting topic. So interesting. And of course, if you give someone a book or a bonsai tree, people will keep that and and, uh, and remember it and remember you. Whereas if you go out for an alcohol and drugs fueled night with them, all they'll have to remember is what you from is the hangover. Uh, so <laughs> you, you've got more positive and long-term uh, staying power on the back of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my boss regularly used to, um, he used to live out in the countryside and, uh, you know, he used to, well, he had a few drinks, he used to fall asleep on the train and end <laughs> up kind of at the end of the line. And his wife would go absolutely furious because obviously she thought he was out with some woman. And so, and so, you know, if you think about, I mean, he was my boss, but if you think about it, if it had been me as a, uh, taking him out as a client, then he would then associate me with all that pain uh, that he was then getting from his wife. And it kind of, it doesn't really leave a very good taste in the mouth, does it? No. So, you know, it might be fun at the time, but it is really not a good way to to do business. So let's focus on the good way to do business then. Yeah. Um, and and we, we've touched on the relationship building element of, of standing out from the crowd, of getting people to remember you. But if you want to be established as the go-to person in your industry or organization, obviously it's not just about being a nice person. And you, you mentioned this, it's the value you bring. You talked yeah. about the value you bring to people in terms of personalized gifts and so forth, which is something I often talk about as well and absolutely with you. But there's value you bring in terms of your ideas, your insights and so forth. So how do you move forward with that? So let's have a few practical things people can do to build that personal brand and to really be seen as the go-to person beyond just being good at their job. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I mean, the first thing is, uh, you, you know, you really got to work at your communication skills because a lot of people are very, very lazy communicators. Um, they haven't studied communication. They just think that it's okay just to show up and, and to talk in a very lazy and imprecise way. And because I come from, obviously, the environment that I do, that was never acceptable. And 
as I said, if you couldn't describe what you did in a single sentence, then people would think you were just like, what the hell are you doing here? So um, so I grew up in that very, very disciplined environment, but a lot of people don't, of course. Um, so they go, they go about just really never thinking about how they talk about what they do. And really, you know, it, it, communication is something that can be studied. So if you think that that is um, an issue for you, then listen to this podcast, which is amazing. You know, it's all about connection and the connected leadership and so on. You've got some great episodes. So educate yourself, first of all, I would say. Um, listen to some podcasts, uh, read some books. Um, and, you know, just don't be a people pleaser is the other thing. Because people pleasers don't win in business, unfortunately. Um, so I think that's important as well. Can you expand on that? I think that's a really interesting and perhaps provocative statement. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So so people that are nice are vanilla. They're bland. And everybody sees them as bland because they feel as though they're not getting the real person. So if you have the opportunity to be a bit uh, outspoken, a bit polarizing, then people will tend to respect you more because they'll feel as though they're getting the real you. And you can polarize, obviously, religion and politics, uh, you know, they're very divisive. If you start, uh, you know, if you start talking about some things, then you will make enemies quite quickly. Obviously, you don't want to do that. But there are ways that you can polarize on just by being yourself, because you, 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 who you are, your real self, who, what you care about, what you, what, what you stand for and against is you. And I think the more that you show that, the more people trust you and the less you show that and the more you hide behind this version of yourself that isn't real. This is just, you know, you're telling people what they want to hear all the time um, and just being nicey-nicey to everybody, then um, the less people are going to trust you and the less they're going to feel as though they're getting the real you. So connection is not going to be built. Um, I, I know, obviously, this is all about connection, so, and I feel really passionately about this topic. So w- would you agree, Andy? What, what do you think? No, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I look at, I, I, I've heard the phrase many times over, if, if you've not created enemies, you're not doing anything meaningful. Uh, I, I don't think it's about creating enemies, but it's about provoking and challenging. Um, and I will try to do that to a degree. So <laughs> I posted a blog a couple of weeks ago uh, on LinkedIn. In fact, if you received my Connecting is Not Enough newsletter, it actually started out life in there. And I felt really guilty about writing it. And I've wanted to write it for a long, long time. And I forced myself to do it at the risk of offending people. Because every now and then, I will get messages on LinkedIn that say, happy birthday, obviously once a year, or say congratulations on your work anniversary or various other things. I might not be celebrating a work anniversary. It's a LinkedIn construct. (laughs) Um, And it gets quite tiring, particularly when, and I shared a a screen grab of a thread, obviously anonymized, which had someone saying, happy birthday, Andy. Thank you. Congratulations on your work anniversary, Andy. Thank you. Happy birthday, Andy. Over three years. Happy birthday. Congratulations. Happy birthday. Congratulations. And I said, this doesn't show a relationship building. So I feel mean to those people who take the time to say those things, but I'm trying to help and support and provoke a change 
because it's not working. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think you have to do stuff like that, but you can do it respectfully. Yeah, and, and I think uh, you raise an important point, and obviously a lot of people are a bit clumsy on platforms like LinkedIn just simply because they haven't been taught. And I always feel some sympathy, obviously coming from a business development and a sales background myself, I feel when people reach out and they're just – you know, they're, they're doing what they think is the right thing to do, but they're not just not doing it very well. Yeah. I feel I feel sympathy for them. I just think, well, that's a shame because, you know, you're putting your efforts in um, and really not getting the results from it that you should. But it is genuinely a lot harder to build relationships on a virtual platform like LinkedIn. Um, it's very, very hard for a lot of people. And um, it's it's. Um, it's very, very hard for people to get that unique um, essence of you, if you like, yeah. and really start to follow you because everybody just blends into the noise because it's just it's very, very noisy out there. It, it is. And I think the, the key thing here is the going to the point about being people pleasers. People pleasers will just not give the feedback, whether it's one to one, whether it's publicly, they won't give the feedback. And I think that. If you want to be known as the go-to person, you've got to show people where they can do things better, where you can, uh, uh, where you can uh, change your behaviours, make a difference. And we have to be shocked into that because we're lazy creatures by habit, you know, by nature, and, and it's it's hard to change. So you have to shock into change. But respect has to be key, doesn't it? In that, I mean, I worked in publishing sales many years ago. Um, so having said respect is key, my boss used to, I heard him F and blind at the top of his voice to the global CEO of Porsche. Um, it was quite stunning and that was his way, but he got the sales and I'm sure, you know, your background, you've seen behavior like that before. So (laughs) all the time, (laughs) where do you draw the line between, um, provoking, challenging and being respectful? Well, I think, again, it just comes down to being yourself. And I obviously in, um, you know, media and entertainment, there are some very, uh, very, very colorful characters. I mean, I'm thinking about Simon Cowell. So I didn't just work in advertising, also worked in TV. And Simon Cowell is an absolute, you know, he's just like a lot of people who are at a very senior level in TV. And they are very rude, very blunt. Uh, they're also like basically good people, but they they tell it like it is. So so Simon Cowell is almost like a kind of composite uh, character of many many people that I met uh, during my time in TV. And um, do you think he'd tell you to fuck off? Yes, he yes he would if he if he if he felt like it if he felt it was the right thing to do, because his rudeness is also the thing that people love about him. I mean, personally, I, I love Simon Cowell because he tells it like it is. I love people like that. And if he turned around and he was rude to me and he said, uh, oh, just fuck off, Jane, you're, you know, you're so this, you're so that. I just laugh and I just think, oh, that's great. He's just him being him, you know. Um, but do you have to earn the right to do that? You're not going to tell a, a, a finance manager to tell their CFO um, <laughs> to do that. 
No, I mean, you're right, because also there is a certain status thing. So, you know, in, in uh, as I said, in, in media and those kind of environments, uh, it's, it's one way you establish your status is through the ability to be rude, um, but also to make people laugh, because a lot of the time, rudeness and making people laugh go together. So the more you can make people laugh, really the blunter or the ruder that you can be if you don't have the character in order to make people laugh and you're just a basically a nasty kind of boring person who tell goes around telling people to fuck off well that is not going to work in your favor then you have to work on your charm skills um <laughs> so you have to learn how to be a bit nicer but a bit more charming a bit more complimentary and actually tip the balance in that direction i think I think it's the first time we've had a guest on on the Connected Leadership podcast give that particular advice in, <laughs> in terms of building relationships. But I like to cover all ends of, of, of the spectrum. A uh, couple other questions before we finish. Um, a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, our episode focused on organisational network analysis, uh, which is, is a system of saying who are the key connectors, the key hubs, uh, the sources of creativity and innovation and ideas within an organisation. And one of the key things that came out of that is many of the traditional metrics for uh, measuring where the value lies in an organisation's uh, team don't necessarily fit the really valuable outputs from those team members. Mm -hmm. So if you you want to stand out because your skill set is bringing huge value to the company or the organization you're with or the industry you're in, but it's not a typically a typical metric that is you you know success is measured on, what do you do to make sure that leaders and, and key stakeholders, key influencers in your industry really recognize your value? Yeah, well, uh, that's an interesting question. I suppose if that was the dilemma that I was having, I would try and invent a new metric. And I would I would say, look, I'm, I feel as though I'm doing this stuff and it is not, um, it's, it's not actually showing up in terms of your um, you know, performance appraisals or whatever. So I have this idea that you know, this work that I'm doing could be reflected in this way, that way, and, or measured and monitored in this way, that way, and the other way. What do you think? Now, of course, uh, some people will say, well, that's not the way that we do it around here. And I uh, well, like what you do, but I don't think that's, you know, there is no room in our system for that. But it really depends on the culture of the organization. So my daughter was working, uh, let's just say, for a very well-known tech company, um, I'm naming no names, and there was no room for them to do anything like that no room for innovation or, or for sort of more junior people to have ideas and she's now working for a company that is completely the opposite so also another tech company but much more of dynamic entrepreneurial kind of startup -y type type business so it really just does come down to culture and I think you know whether you're working for a business that is open to your ideas and actually um Working or working for a company that is um, that this is the way we do it round here type vibe, and they're both very very different, aren't they? So, so speak up first and move on. Uh, if that doesn't work, would, would be a yeah. good summary of that advice. Always speak up. Yeah, yeah. Just be outspoken. Be yourself. 
uh, what have you got to lose? I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? You're going to get the sack, right? That's a lot of people have survived that, including me. <laughs> yeah, and me. <laughs> you know, yeah, I know. I mean, it happens. It happens to many, many people at some yeah. point, just because yeah. they are them. Um, so yeah, it's it's not the end of the world. You'll find somewhere that is a better fit for you. Absolutely. Um, and so let's turn that around. So we've talked about if you feel that the organisation. Uh, doesn't recognize your talents what about as leaders how do we give people the right platform to showcase their talents as leaders um well leaders are have to have followers don't they so uh, you are not a leader unless you have followers so um that's almost uh, i suppose there are two ways to do that there's the i suppose the structured route which is by putting yourself in an environment where followers can discover you whatever that may be so obviously you have to get the visibility and you alluded to that earlier. Um, but then there's also the way that you talk about what you do, because when you think about the greatest leaders of all time, they were just every time they opened their mouth, they would inspire. They would deliver these sound bite, bites that people would remember. And actually, I, I did a podcast interview with this guy called Bill Schley, who uh, wrote a book called The Microscript Rules. And he was actually one of the original copywriters at the legendary Ted Bates agency in New York that Mad Men was, was based okay, on. Yeah. So he was is all about these sound bites. Um, and he now works with politicians, as a lot of those top copywriters ended up doing. So make America great. You know, that didn't come from Donald Trump. That came from him um, or somebody like him. So it those... came from Ronald Reagan's uh, speechwriters originally. Oh, right. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So so I think the what I really focus on with my clients is the language and messaging system around what they do. because. A lot of people, they just blurt. They just talk about what they do in a way that is very samey. And it's just, it's not really inspiring anybody or engaging because people just think, oh, I've heard it all before. That was the same as the thing that I heard so-and-so say last week. So actually talking in a way that bypasses the curiosity filter um, and actually makes them think, hey, wait a minute, this is new, this is different, this is interesting, this is more relevant. I like this. What is this? That's what you want. Um, but that is not something that is just intuitive. It's something that has to be planned and thought out. I mean, when you think about it, these uh, politicians, they're obviously very good speakers to begin with, aren't they? Because otherwise they wouldn't have chosen that career but they still need um, writers, don't they? And they still need yeah. people to help them formulate these ideas so they can go and deliver them. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's really, you know, to be honest, I think it's something that a lot of people need help with a lot more these days than in the past because, you know, with the shift to online, competitions available at the click of a button, everybody's browsing, everybody has multiple, multiple options. And if you, you're not clear about what you do, and if it's not exciting, relevant and compelling enough, then people will just overlook you and go and choose somebody else. And you won't be a leader. You'll be one of the followers, one of the sheep instead. Hard uh, message, I know. <laughs> but an important one. And, you know, if I take my own business, my own career uh, as an example, I constantly have to look to reinvent, to to re-innovate what I do because I've had things that that I, that 
I would argue I've brought largely into the public domain and then people saying three years down the line, oh, we've heard all that before. And constantly you have to move forward and come up with new ideas because people, you know, particularly with social media, these ideas take on a life of their own very quickly. And actually, if they weren't, I wouldn't be doing my job because they wouldn't be uh, they, they wouldn't be viral. They wouldn't be catching fire. Um, so, yeah, you have to constantly move forward. Another thing that I, I felt that I've had to do over the years and I feel very strongly about is to be recognised for a niche uh, uh, and to be recognised for one thing. So, for example, there are many people who do what I do who train presentation skills. Now, I have mentored a handful of leaders and speakers on their presentations, but it's not something I offer for a very simple reason that I don't want to muddy the water in terms of the services that I offer. How important is it that, that for you that people really clearly define precisely what it is they stand for and how much should they hone into that? Yeah, so I'm, I mean, I work with a lot of my clients on this particular topic. It's very, very important, very important because nobody nobody will hire a generalist if you are uh, an expert, if you're a consultant or a, you know, the coach or, or something like that. People, they want those little things, that, that little edge that is going to help them succeed or make them get better at what they do. And that comes from a deep um, expertise. So, you know, I, ha I have this, many of my clients come to me because they are struggling with their messaging. And when I look at it, that is the simple problem that they are just trying to kind of put everything in their toolkit up front. Like here's the basket with a big shiny bow on top and you can choose this, you can choose that, you can choose it. I've got so many different things in my basket, which would you like? And that's just totally yeah. the wrong way to do it because the smaller you start and the more, um, the more niched and the more specific, the more likely you are to get somebody to come into your world. And this is not something that I've made up. It's the same strategy that some of the biggest brand businesses in the world, like Procter & Gamble, use. So when they launch a washing powder, they don't launch it to the whole world all at once and, and sort of spend their advertising budget trying to get into three out of five homes. That might be their eventual goal, but what they'll do is they will pick something like first-time female uh, millennial washing machine buyers. That will be how they're going to get those early wins, those early case studies, the early adopters, um, and then they will uh, limit their um, ad spend or their budget or whatever to those people. And really, it is just the same set of principles when we are selling our own services or trying to, uh, you know, make an impact in our corporate environment. Just get known to be really good at one thing. Doesn't do any harm, does it? And keep hold back on all the other stuff that you can do until you've built a relationship and then slowly you can unpack it, if that makes sense. It does indeed. And, and Jane, you've... Uh... You've established your niche uh, and you. one of helping people stand out yeah. uh, and, and really establish themselves as a go-to person. I think you've established that and, and, and demonstrated that very well today. So thank you very much for uh, coming on my podcast and joining the Connected Leadership Podcast. It's been oh, great to it's have been you on. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me, Andy, and look forward to getting both episodes out. Absolutely. Probably around the same time. Thank yeah, you yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. and. See you soon. See you soon.
So thank you very much to Jane for joining me. Uh, we, we, we've, we've, we've had two or three episodes on a similar theme, but what's interesting is that there are many similarities within, with, with the advice given, but there's really standout differences uh, in terms of approach. Uh, not, not the conflicts with each other, but just adds to the richness of the conversation. So I think there's some really important things that stood out. And for me, um, that point about really looking to consistently evolve your message and help people understand where you stand out was absolutely key. Uh, and a little sidetrack conversation about the role of alcohol and drugs, which I think the key message to take away from that is you don't have to participate uh, in order to build relationships. And, um, you know, for me, that's absolutely key uh, as someone who doesn't overindulge in any way at all. Um, so an interesting episode of the Collective Leadership Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and come and join us again soon. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.